Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm Patrick Colley. I'm the owner of Keystone Elder Law and your host on this show. If you're looking for previous episodes of this show, go to whp580.com and use the menu in the upper left to find podcasts. That's where you will find the Later in Life Planning Show. All the episodes will be in there. If you have a phone, download the iHeart app, iHeart or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any podcast platform, and you can find all of the episodes that we've done. We're... we're, uh, We're coming up on 40 pretty quickly here. 40 episodes full of information that are all about one resource after another, one way to plan for the later years of life after another. People who listen to this show regularly understand how many considerations come into play when you're planning for the later years of life. There are medical issues, there are legal issues, financial issues, insurance issues, and I've tried to feature guests who really know what they're talking about on uh, all kinds of specialized areas. And occasionally, I'll just do an episode where I'll take a step back and I'll say, this is how we put it together. But many of these categories of planning are, I have to emphasize, not just one-time set-it-and-forget-it decisions. Just like, think about it, you would never get your blood work done one time for your primary care physician, and then assume you're good to go for the rest of your life. And just like that, a careful legal plan should be adjusted as changes happen in your family, in your health. Uh, Changes happen in the law. Uh, Changes might happen in your finances. All of these things are, are things you sort of monitor. And if you need to adjust your plan, you do. And yes, I'm talking right now to those of you who have you know, a will or a power of attorney that was drafted 30 years ago when the kids were young and now the kids are bringing their kids over to visit you. It might be time for an update. You want your plan to fit your life, to fit your family. It's it's not just a document. You you there that's just what it looks like to have a plan. Does your incapacity plan depend on someone who is no longer living or someone whose own health is not all that great? Do you even have an incapacity plan? And here I'm thinking the tools, the actual documents would be a power of attorney, a healthcare power of attorney and living will, maybe a trust. All of this goes into the idea that people are living longer. We have all kinds of great medical advances, but there's living longer problems. There's what if you have cognitive decline? What if you have a stroke? What if you have an accident? If you're not able to do all kinds of decision-making that you might take for granted, an incapacity plan is your safety net. It's a seamless transition which can alleviate not only financial concerns, but emotional turmoil for your whole family. One in three people end up having dementia. Clogged arteries and other factors are leading people to have strokes. An accident or a fall could happen at any time. If any of these medical issues happen to you, how will your bills get paid? Who will be able to access your retirement accounts if you cannot do it? Who could sign the deed to sell a property or sign an agreement to to arrange for care or or something else that you need? 
These are all sort of day-to-day decisions that, that we make for ourselves until that day comes when you can't. An incapacity plan is crucial. If one of those medical issues happens to you, the cost of long-term care is astonishingly expensive. Have you protected assets so that your spouse does not go into poverty if you have the nerve to have a stroke? You worked hard for decades. You saved your money. You were responsible about your spending. The law allows you to protect what you've earned. And I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think the middle class needs asset protection more than anybody else. You know, it, it, the, the threats, the challenges, the costs of the later years of life will wipe out decades worth of savings for the middle class. Whereas the super wealthy, they might end up, if they're not well protected, they might pay more to the IRS than they otherwise would have. You know, too bad. You know, I think for the middle class where where my heart is and, you know, I grew up middle class and my clientele at, at, at Keystone Elder Law are decidedly middle class, even upper middle class. But, you know, if, if paying $13,000 a month for long-term care is going to leave your family in a bind on a long enough timeline, well, the law allows you to take steps to protect what you have earned. But the sooner you take action, the better because you just don't know when that incapacitating event will happen. You may be wondering, after I rattle off all of these thoughts, where do I start? That's what this episode is all about. Where do I start? If you're not fabulously wealthy, but you have property that you would like to keep in your family because you worked hard for it, that's what elder law is all about. It's not just checking some boxes saying, I have a will. Done. I have a power of attorney. I have a healthcare power of attorney. Done. No, it's it's thinking about likely threats, very predictable threats, statistically uh, common threats that that happen to middle class families, and it brings not only emotional turmoil to a family, worry, concern. It brings financial burdens. You want to identify these threats, and long term care costs are one of the biggest ones. But there are common middle-class tax mistakes. There are problems that arise from family dynamics. We, we can address all of those, and, and really, you need to. But how do you even get started? The best way to start is to think about it like this. Education, preparation, action, follow-up. Education, preparation, action, follow-up. So I'll start with education. If you start drafting an estate plan... Without education or preparation, you are putting the cart before the horse. This is something that should be done carefully. This is your whole life. This is your you know savings for decades. And it's not just I don't I don't mean to reduce this to dollars and cents or real estate. I mean your your plan for your life is uh, is more than that. It's it's your it's your quality of life decisions. If you can't speak to a doctor and make informed decisions. You know, that some would put that at least as high on the priority list as saving money and property. And it's, you know, it's things like your legacy. It's, it's you know, what are people going to be saying about you? Did you make life easier for the people around you? Did you have, give them a roadmap to your life and have everything all laid out so there was a seamless transition even when you had a stroke or dementia or you pass away? Did you make everything easy for them? Are they going to... Thank you for the work you put into having this plan. Or 
Are they going to grumble when your name comes up and talk about, oh, it was such a mess? Because these are legacy matters, and that's a strange word to to throw around, but that's what it comes down to. Use whatever word you like. But, you know, are are people going to, to be appreciative that you took the time to have a plan, or are you ticking the boxes and saying, I have some documents, I'm going to call that my estate plan? And these days, you can go online, you can buy some documents and call it an estate plan. That's definitely what I would call action before education. You want to go education, then you prepare, then you take action, and then there's some a little bit of follow-up, some maintenance. And underlying all of this is, is my firm belief that your plan for the later years of life will be nearly useless if it does not shield you from predictable threats. This is is something you really want to reflect on. What are the predictable threats for my situation? You know, you go online, it's a one-size-fits-all sort of set of documents. If you don't do anything at all, the government has a plan for you, and that's definitely one-size-fits-all. If you have you know, an estranged child, uh, and you don't want that person to receive money. Well, the government doesn't know that. They're getting money. If you have a special needs child and leaving them money could eliminate their benefits, their housing benefits, their uh, SSI, their Medicaid for health care, the government doesn't know that. So, you know, you get the one-size-fits-all plan, and, and that's probably what you get when you go online, too. You're not taking the time to get educated about predictable threats and What are the various ways to deal with that? This is all a reflection of the future you want to have. That's another way to put your estate planning and and to emphasize how important it is. Think about the future you want to have. Do you want to secure a better future? Even if your health does not hold up the way you want it to, what kind of future do you want for the people in your family? So you start by learning about aspects of planning to determine the best way to build a shield, protect against challenges, and secure that future that you want to achieve. You're doing this right now by listening to the Later in Life Planning Show. And every single week, I offer free online workshops to explain these concepts that go into middle-class estate planning and asset protection and how to pay for long-term care. If you're interested in taking in some of that education, go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the workshops tab, you'll see when the next ones are uh, coming up and you can get registered. More on education, preparation, action, follow-up in a moment. You're listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show, here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm Patrick Cawley. I'm the owner of Keystone Elder Law, and I'm your host on this show. If you've listened before, you hear me state the mantra of Keystone Elder Law, our mission statement, which is to shield the middle class from the costs of getting older. And, you know, week in, week out on this show, I'm bringing on one expert in a field after another, and they're talking about all of these resources. Sometimes they're talking about problems, challenges. They're talking about the setbacks that arise in the later years of life, but there's always some sort of, okay, this is how we can prevent it, and this is how we deal with it when it comes up. But there's so many. I mean, there's there's so many things to think about when it comes to later in life planning. 
that I'm I'm addressing the question today, how do I start? How do I even get started with all of this uh, potential uh, options and, and ways to plan? And I, I do emphasize education first. Education, then with the, the information you've armed yourself with, you start preparing, then you take action, and then there might be a little bit of follow-up because it's never a set it and forget it kind of thing. So before the break, I was talking about how you know this radio show is intended to be the education, uh, as well as the weekly workshops that I do. Uh, again, you can go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the workshops tab to see uh, when the next upcoming middle class estate planning and asset protection workshop will be. And you just get registered. You take it in from the comfort of your own home. And you can watch on your iPad, your laptop, even your phone. I think some people watch it that way. Um, and then I provide a, re, uh, a recording of the whole thing about an hour after the workshop so you can fast forward and listen to certain parts over again. Uh, but it's an opportunity, too, to ask questions. So I want to do as much education in a free setting as possible so when people come into our office at Keystone Elder Law, they're ready to, they're ready to move. And we've helped them prepare, too, by the way. We've helped them gather important information. And when we're finished... They are much further along than they were uh, when, from when they started. I mean, certainly when they're worried about not having any estate planning whatsoever or an estate plan that's a few decades old and was done when, when the kids were really little. So we get them much further along, especially to have a plan for that is, that, that is appropriate for the stage of life where people are, where we can identify specific threats and then we can build a shield to protect against them. If you go to the website, keystoneelderlaw.com, uh, you'll also find, in addition to the workshops tab, there's a tab that, that just contains hundreds of articles that we've written over the years addressing various topics in later in life planning. Uh, we used to publish them in a local newspaper every Friday, so you know we were just constantly writing. And, we're, and a lot of this comes from questions that people ask us in the conference room when they come in to see us. And you get asked these questions enough times and you think, gosh, a lot of people want to know the answer to this. So you put it out there. And and I'm trying to do that with this radio show. I just want to get as much information out there as possible, because if you if you do the kind of work I do, gosh, week in, week out, month in, month out, you, you see the people who come in. Or and, and they're going through a decline in health or they're going through trying to settle someone's estate. And it's a mess because there could have been better planning. And you see that and you just want everybody to avoid those mistakes because you see what it does to families and it's tough. So I just want to get out there and educate people. So education, prepare, take action, follow up. So seeking out, I I think, seeking out this organized information. It's presented for you in a workshop. If you're in, by the way, if you want more bite-sized pieces of information about specific issues, search YouTube for Keystone Elder Law, and you'll find many short videos answering frequently asked questions. But however you go about getting this information, it is targeted to prompt you to think and reflect on the future you want for yourself and your family. And they might be questions you would think about on a long enough timeline, but uh, we will cause those questions to come to mind uh, so that you can start reflecting on them and how you want to answer them. Uh, The education might help you rule out certain planning tools 
of a legal or financial nature. You know, everything you own is in retirement accounts with beneficiary designations. Okay, then you probably do not need a trust unless your beneficiaries have special needs or problems with managing money or something like that. Then you want to protect the next generation. Um, Most of your savings is in real estate that you own. Okay, then a trust might be a very good idea. You know, and along the way, you might pick up tidbits about long-term care insurance, whether that's appropriate for you or not. Uh, But just, you know, you do that, gather the information rather than jumping right in to draft estate planning documents. You know, learn what those documents will actually do to form your plan and build that shield to protect you from the challenges of the later years of life. When you learn the staggering statistics about health issues that make long-term care necessary and you learn how much long-term care costs then it's helpful to understand the ways you might pay for it. For most middle-class families, Medicaid is the way to pay for nursing home care. But it helps to know that our government has created a rule book for Medicaid that requires you to go broke before they pay thousands of dollars every month for your care. Fortunately, this Medicaid rule book also allows you to take steps to protect property for your family. Does it make sense that we have a healthcare system like this? No, not really. But, you know, people have little or no control over whether they will need acute care in the later years of life. And that would be doctor visits, procedures in the hospital. And that's paid for by Medicare without any concern for how much property you have. They, they just don't ask. They just pay the bill. But you don't know whether you're going to have that acute care paid for by Medicare or whether you will need long-term care, which close to 70% of the population does. And Medicare does not pay for long-term care. If you are one of the many people who fall into that second camp where you need long-term care, and now the government rulebook makes you jump through all kinds of hoops to get money out of your name, hopefully keep it in your family before Medicaid will pay the bill for long-term care, you know, you want to know, what do I need to do now while everybody's healthy? You learn about this bizarre system of rules, and eventually a light bulb does go off. And I've seen it in seminars that I've done. Um, I've seen it in conference rooms where I'm meeting with clients where it finally sinks in. You don't know if you're going to need acute care only and Medicare will pay the bill or if you're going to need long-term care. Sometimes the same symptoms could send you, you know, to into heart disease, which Medicare is going to pay for the acute care, or it could cause a stroke where you're going to need long-term care. So you don't know, but eventually the light bulb goes off, you know, and people start realizing, hey, if somebody needs to empty out my IRA or my 401k so that I'm broke enough to qualify for Medicaid and you keep that money in the family, What happens when I'm the only one who has the ability to access my money? My family's going to have to come up with a way to pay $13,000 a month for my care because I won't be eligible for Medicaid until all that money's cleared out and nobody else can get into it. That's where incapacity planning starts to really dawn on people as, as a pretty crucial thing. And, and as you're, you're learning, you're, 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 uh, taking in information think about specifics about you and your family. For example, are you a veteran? There are all kinds of benefits that you may may have earned and that will serve you and your family well because you served our country. 
last week's episode with Tom Carreau, who is the uh, director of Dauphin County's Office of Veterans Affairs, took a run through a number of different services offered by the VA, our state government, and local resources. And a lot of what Tom was talking about, I mean, if you're listening to this in another state, it's just as true for you. And uh, after we had that episode, Tom was telling me that he, he actually does help people well outside of South Central Pennsylvania, people in other states who he's just connected with through mutual friends. Um, you know, there's people all over the country doing what Tom does to help veterans identify benefits that they have earned. So that's a question you want to ask and take in more education. There is, by the way, special trust planning that can be done to protect assets in order to obtain a veteran's benefit to pay for care in assisted living or a personal care community. You wouldn't just pick that tool up with understanding how, without understanding how the benefit works. Education is key. Do you have a child with a disability? Do you have a child who struggles with addiction? Do you have a child who just cannot manage money? And you're worried about whether the child will have a place to live. These, you know, these are types of planning uh, where where you're anticipating threats and you're planning for them. I do this with families all the time. Just know for what's going to work for your family. Know what's available so you don't just have documents. You have a plan that fits your family. So you start by taking in this education and thinking about your circumstances. When I come back from a break, I'm going to talk about how you prepare, how you take action, and then a little bit on follow-up. So stay tuned for more of the Later in Life Planning show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law right here on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We're back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm your host, Patrick Cauley. The question I'm asking today is, how do I even get started with Later in Life Planning? And I'm emphasizing that education comes first. Then there's some steps you can take to prepare before you take action. And I don't mean to minimize taking action. I'm just cautioning that you don't want to just jump right into drafting legal documents, maybe getting something online and having no idea what it's going to do for you because you never stopped and thought about likely threats, uh, family-specific circumstances that that you and your loved ones have. You really want a plan, not a set of documents. You want a plan that's going to work for your family. So let's say you've taken in the education, you've attended a workshop, an online workshop uh, through KeystoneElderLaw.com, and you're ready to start preparing. You want to take action, but what do you do to get ready to take action? Well, once you've learned about the ways you can shield your family from the costs and the challenges of getting older, there's one more thing you need to do. You're really going to collect a lot of information. So, for example, an incapacity plan necessarily involves empowering other people to take over your day-to-day responsibilities when you become unable to handle them. So you're going to hand over some decision-making authority. You're not, you, you continue to make your own decisions, but you want to authorize and empower another person to step right in to your decision-making if you become unable to do it yourself. So you're going to start asking, who are the people in your life who are responsible trustworthy, organized, 
Do they pay their own bills, you know, before you expect that they're going to pay yours? Do they do their own taxes before you're going to ask that they'll take care of that for you? Write all these names down. Write down the people who would be best suited to keep organized uh, records of your money coming in, your money going out, and be able to explain how every bit of it was for your best interests. And while you're at it, before a meeting, for example, at Keystone Elder Law, make sure you gather their street address, their phone number, their email address. Make a list of the decision makers in your life. Probably a good idea to have, you know, for example, if you're married, probably it's going to be your spouse unless your spouse is currently in not so great health or in declining health, then maybe you would go to an adult child. But it doesn't even have to be anybody in your in your family. It can be a trusted friend. It can be uh, maybe an accountant. It can be anybody you trust who is organized. If one of these people needed to take the reins of your life next week, would that person know where you keep your money? Do they know what bank you use or banks? Uh, do they know the account numbers? Do they know who your financial advisor is? Do they know who your estate planning attorney is? Do they know what bills need to be paid every month? Write all of this down. And you would, well, maybe not all of you, but some of you would be pretty surprised to hear that, you know, we've guided at Keystone Elder Law some some uh, folks through, let's say, Medicaid planning. And that's an exercise of gathering everything that, let's say, a married couple owns. We want to know every investment account, every bank account. We need tax records. We need uh, financial statements because we have to present all of this paper to the government before they're going to pay thousands of dollars a month. And you would be surprised to find out that people have no idea sometimes the accounts they have. And, you know, we'll start sleuthing around. You can find an awful lot of information from a tax return and we'll say, well, wait a second. What about this account, this account, this CD that you opened, um, this IRA that you opened? And, you know, you see the adult child turn to mom and say, mom, did you open that IRA? And mom sort of shrugs and says, I don't remember doing that. Well, it's there because, you know, you can't really put one past the IRS. At least I don't recommend it. Um, so you see that it's there and you track it all down, but what if mom were, were completely incapacitated or what if mom passes away and you have no idea how to go about settling the estate, uh, because you don't know where anything is. And, and it's, you know, I don't expect that every set of parents is, uh, talking heart to heart about their net worth with their, their kids or telling them where everything is, but at least giving them enough information or having a list somewhere where you can just go pull it out, and it's the roadmap to a person's life. Remember what I said earlier about keeping in mind your legacy. Are people going to remember you as somebody who made life easier, who you know gave a roadmap to the life, life of a person? That's what I'm talking about here, is you have a list of people, you have a list of accounts, you have a list of uh, regular recurring bills. And and uh, coming to bills, you know, it's pretty common these days that people don't receive hard copy bills in the mailbox. They receive an email telling them that a bill is coming due. Would your chosen decision maker, maybe an adult child, be able to access your email to look for bills that need to be paid? They can only get so far looking in the mailbox and seeing 
you know, there's a gas bill, there's a water bill. Okay, I now I, I know a bill t- that needs to be paid. But if the only bill you get is through your email, which is more and more common, they might not know you have an account somewhere. They might not know that you have a, a recurring subscription to something and the bill needs to be paid. They might not know you have a credit card, you know? And, and so having all of this uh, written down, maybe having a password list, and that's that's a tricky subject because, you know, security becomes uh, a concern. And you can have it written down and you can have it even password protected on a computer or you can have a secure password app. There's a number of those out there. And then you only need one password to get in. But the key is however you do it, it's going to be extremely helpful to your decision maker, your safety net, uh, your incapacity plan. If somebody knows where to find that information so that they can put together the roadmap of your life. This person has agreed to be there for you when you have an incapacitating event. Make it easy for them. That's, that's the stuff of a good legacy. Once you've done this, you've, you've assembled everything I have. Here are the people in my life. Here are the professionals I work with in case you need to get, uh, you need to get expert real estate advice or financial advice or legal advice. These are the people you call. I think you're ready to take action. So you've thought about family circumstances. You've thought about, hey, if I pass away, is it okay to leave money to this person? Or maybe I should have somebody else hold it in trust and pay their bills for them so they don't become homeless because they can't manage money. Or I, I should have a special needs trust because of somebody who, uh, because of a, a disability, just isn't able to manage money. Or if they have money available to them, it will eliminate benefits. These are questions you want to be asking. Notice I'm, I'm not jumping right into what the tool is. Now, in the back of my mind, because I do this for a living, I'm thinking special needs trust. I'm thinking addiction trust. I'm thinking various kinds of trust planning uh, in order to protect not only your money, but to protect the well-being of the person who will benefit from your hard work and savings. There are tools, but that's not what we're, we're concerned with at the preparation phase. It's identifying the people, identifying any special needs they have, and any special concerns. And then we're ready to take action. And we make it pretty easy at Keystone Elder Law to take action because, for example, if you take in your education, step one, through one of our free online workshops, you will actually receive a link uh, usually the next morning after the workshop. It'll, it allows you to get right on the calendar with a member of the Keystone Elder Law team. And that first conversation is, consider it like a triage. It's figuring out, okay, where are you in your planning journey? What concerns or goals do you have? Um, are we even best suited to help you take action? And it's, sometimes we're not, but we have a, we're just very fortunate to have a, a, a broad network of people that, that we collaborate with, and we'll find the resource for you. But if we are well-suited to help you take action, this first conversation may conclude with a consult being scheduled with one of the attorneys. And when that happens... You want to bring that list of information you made, the, the decision makers. You want to bring your list of, of accounts and are they investment accounts, bank accounts. This is the real estate I own. This will be incredibly helpful in designing a plan that will work for you and your family in particular. And what are we going to be doing? I mean, what does is, what is taking action look like? 
Well, there are some basic tools that everybody should have. Now, I could tell you it's a power of attorney. It's a healthcare power of attorney. It's a will. Those are the three fundamentals of an estate plan. You might want to add in some sort of asset protection trust or one of the trusts I just mentioned a moment ago. They're not for everybody, but depending on your answers during the preparation phase, it might be exactly what you need. But we're not going to know that unless we, uh, and I mean, we ask a lot of questions and we want to sort of get that, but the more prepared you are for those questions, then we'll know how to take action, which tools we're using and why. So again, that's a lot of what I talk about in the online workshops, keystoneelderlaw.com. Use the workshops tab and you can get registered for more information. We'll be back for more on taking action in a moment here on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We're back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsor, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm your host, Patrick Colley, and today I'm trying to answer the question. Where do I start with all this information? If you've been listening to the show, you hear all of these uh, specialists in various fields, medical, legal, financial, uh, you know, healthcare of various kinds. How do, I, how do I start? And I'm addressing at least the legal part, and it always starts with education. You have to start with education. You don't want to jump the gun put the cart before the horse, whatever other analogy you like, where you're just jumping right into having a will. And that's what I need. I need a will. Well, yes, you you do need a will, but you probably need other tools. But the tools have to fit the job that's being done. And that's why you take in education and you learn about the resources, the questions you should be asking, the challenges that might come your way, and the solutions for those challenges. Then with all of that information, you start to prepare. You make a list of the people in your life who you would want making important decisions. On the one hand, financial, property decisions, legal decisions, signing agreements and other legal documents. Uh, And on the other, maybe the same person, maybe not, uh, speaking to the doctor on your behalf. If you lose the ability to make medical decisions, now we're getting into quality of life issues. What's near and dear to your heart? What have you seen in your days with your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your friends? What have you seen as far as end-of-life issues go, and who's best suited in your life to make those decisions? Think about the emotional component of carrying that out if you're in a hospital bed, and how much discretion do you want them to have? Because you can adjust that in your healthcare power of attorney and living will. You know, should they just carry out what you wrote down, or, or are they really well-equipped to have a conversation with healthcare professionals and use their best judgment. All kinds of decisions there that will be made. Along that line, by the way, there are, I mean, Keystone Elder Law tries to do a ton of education. Our website, keystoneelderlaw.com, this radio show, weekly webinars. Um, we try to do as much uh, education as possible, but of course, there's so much more out there. And when it comes to healthcare decision making, I guess I I don't want this episode to end without mentioning resources like The Five Wishes, uh, The Conversation Project. Those are all geared toward uh, starting to think about questions that might come up if it's an end-of-life situation and what would you want to happen. 
So that's the five wishes and the conversation project. If you Google those, you will find them excellent resources to start giving thought uh, to those issues. But you're taking action now. You're you've you've done the education. You've you've created a, a list that of information somebody would need to know if you're incapacitated or if you pass away. Well, how do they make sense of your life? Where, what do they do? So you've made all you've put all that information in a usable format. Now you're taking action. So if you are creating an estate plan, yes, you're going to have a power of attorney. What does the power of attorney do? In my opinion, it's the most important, most powerful tool in the toolbox for your your estate planning. Everyone wants to talk about a will. Yes, you need a will. And yeah, I get it. You want to leave something to the next generation, give them a leg up. That's the American dream. But that assumes that you will have property when you pass away. That's all will the will is good for. It's okay, I passed away owning this bank account, this piece of real estate. Uh, now who gets it? Well, what if you don't have it because you did not manage incapacity that so often happens before death? That's where the power of attorney comes in. And it's really not just, uh, I, I guess I should say, you know, what, what it fundamentally is, it's pay my bills. It's sign agreements for me. It's get my taxes done. It's change the title on a vehicle at PennDOT. Um, it's all of these legal and financial uh, decisions that we take for granted, but that somebody else will have to do for you. And once you have that in place, the bank must talk to the person holding that power of attorney as if they're talking to you. That's pretty powerful. And it, But you go a step further if you're doing it right. I mean, if you're really looking at what are my concerns, what are the likely threats, what else might I build into a power of attorney? How about asset protection? How about the ability to get money out of my name? Why might you do that? Well, your financial advisor, if you have one, and I recommend that you do, your financial advisor might want to get money out of your name because you can avoid certain taxes that way um, and keep more money in your family. Well, if you're incapacitated, only the power of attorney can get that money out of your name. So that's a good reason to have it. If you need long-term care and it costs $13,000 a month, you might want to get money out of your name because then you will qualify for Medicaid to pay that bill. Most people in a nursing home are paying for their care through Medicaid. And you can go on Medicaid a number of different ways. I'd rather save some money for my family because the law allows that, just like tax planning except for long-term care, you're allowed to uh, keep some money in your family. And that's that all starts with the power of attorney. Medicaid planning is a complicated subject, but without a power of attorney, it's really complicated. And now we have to go to court for guardianship. That's what the power of attorney's for. I've touched on the healthcare power of attorney. That's your quality of life decisions. That's who's going to talk to the doctor on my behalf. And the will. Yes, you do need a will. And the will can be simple or it can be complicated. It just depends on your family and your life. What if we get all of the money out of your name because you need a higher level of care and we're getting using the power of attorney, we're getting all the money out of your name. You're broke, but you did not run out of money. Now your spouse has it. Well, what if the spouse passes away? With a so-called simple will, I leave everything to my spouse. And if my spouse is gone, I leave everything to our 
three wonderful children. Well, if you do that, all the money's coming back to the spouse who's on Medicaid. Medicaid goes away. All the money's going to go to a nursing home. There will be nothing left for the wonderful children. So there's another opportunity for asset protection inside your will where you can say, hold on, yes, I want to leave everything to my surviving spouse, but given everything I learned in the education phase, I know how common it is for people to need a higher level of care. I know how expensive care is. I just want someone to ask the question, is my surviving spouse on Medicaid for long-term care? If the answer is yes, hold it in a pot of money, a trust built inside your will. And it just says, okay, kids, you hold the purse strings, pay for things for my surviving spouse, enhance their quality of life, but don't give it to my surviving spouse outright because then all the money's just going to go straight to the nursing home and none of it will be left for the kids. And the law allows you to, to make uh, protections against that. So the will might be a very good opportunity for asset protection as well. You might set up an asset protection trust outside of your will so it actually does something for you while you're alive. You put your home into the asset protection trust. You put uh, secondary real estate into the asset protection trust. Why? Because you don't know if you're going to need acute care paid for by Medicare or whether you're going to need long-term care as 70% of the population does. And then Medicaid rules require you to not have any of that property. So if you saved and, and worked hard for that property and you want to protect it, an asset protection trust is a very good idea. This is designed for middle-class families. This is not richie rich trusts, you know, uh, trust fund babies, as they, they said when I was growing up about really rich people. This is common sense asset protection for the middle class just because we have to play by this tough Medicaid rule book that says you have to go broke. You'd have to sell the family property that's that's been around for 100 years. Uh, if, if keeping it in the family is important, the rule book says you have to put it into a trust and you have to do it well before you get sick. So again, taking action sooner rather than later is important. Not before doing education or preparation, but there's no need to delay on this because you just never know when an incapacitating event will happen. So that's the power of attorney, the healthcare power of attorney, the will. There's there's so far, there's asset protection you can be doing. Asset protection trust, that's the gold standard of protecting what you have. The follow-up is, well, what happens if your health declines? Now it's time to use the power of attorney or maybe the trust. Maybe you need benefits to pay for care, okay, but only after getting guidance on the best care plan. Changes in the family, deaths, marriages, births, no problem. Adjust the plan, but just don't set it and forget it. We build plans at Keystone Elder Law to last for a long time, but the unexpected does happen. I mean, we can't predict a stroke. We can't, you know, predict every accident that might happen. So you you take a good plan and you make it work even better for those circumstances. And what should you tell your family members? You don't have to tell them what your net worth is, but they should know where the roadmap is. You're, you're creating a roadmap. You're not getting documents. So let them know where it is. I'll be moving on to another subject next week, but I wanted to pull it all together and give you an idea of where to start. That's what this is all about. It's making a plan for the later years of life. And I'm so glad you listened to the show. See you next week. 
on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580.